BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time to Ben Jarofsky show. As I speak, it is Friday, January 20th, 2023. I'm going to give you a sense of what's in the news, uh, but I'm not going to go to a traditional news source as I usually do. No, I'm going to be hip and cool, a hipster. I'm going to pretend I am a Z generation person. <laughs> Actually, I don't even think Z generation people are doing this. I'm going to go to Twitter. I think Z's have quit on Twitter. That's a bad sign. I think Twitter is like a millennial thing. You know what I'm saying? Actually, I'm not even sure millennials do Twitter anymore. I don't know what millennials do. All right. Anyway, um, uh, this is from Twitter, and it's the Twitter account of Congressman George Santos, uh, who was elected in 2022 from a district in Long Island. Heck of a job, uh, New York voters. Uh, it has been subsequently learned uh, that he has pretty much lied about absolutely everything in his life. Uh, so many things he's lied about, his, his education, uh, his career, uh, and uh, perhaps my favorite lie, uh, his ethnicity, he said he was Jewish. And then as his explanation, he said, I never said I was Jewish. I said I was Jew-ish, which <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> every Jewish person I know, I'm cracking up about that one ever since. What a liar. There was that guy on Saturday Night Live. He goes, yeah, this will work. And that's uh, sort of what George Santos is. Every day a new lie comes out. But anyway, the story hit yesterday. I think it was yesterday. I've lost track of time. Uh, that he was actually uh, a drag queen uh, back in the day in Brazil. And there were all these photographs uh, that are allegedly George Santos in drag. And I can't tell for certain uh, if the people in the photographs are George Santos. They sure look like him. Uh, but I don't know for certain that they are. Anyway, uh, George Santos uh, then felt compelled uh, to issue a statement on his Twitter account. And uh, I will now read that statement, which was sent to me by listener Frank. Thank you very much, Frank. I don't know what I'd do without you, young man. All right, here we go. Uh, the most recent obsession from the media claiming that I am 
a drag queen or, quote, performed as a drag queen is categorically false. Let's just pause for a moment that this is the notorious liar that nobody believes anything he says anymore because all he does is lie. And now he's saying someone else is false. Okay. Thank you. Uh, the media, back to the statement, the media continues to make outrageous claims about my life while I am working to deliver results. Uh, hello, you're the one who made the outrageous claims about your life. And what are you doing lately to re deliver results for what? Uh, anyway, I will not be distracted nor phased by this. So, you know, I kind of think that falls into the category of a non-denial denial. Let me just put it this way. You know, he probably was or did some drag queen stuff. You know, I got a feeling uh, he enjoyed dressing up that way. Uh, I personally don't see anything wrong with it. That's where I come from on this thing. And it kind of reminds me of when Clarence Thomas, this is a long, long uh, time ago, way before my distinguished guest uh, was a working journalist. Uh, when Clarence Thomas was coming before the Senate uh, Judicial Committee to... Uh, uh, for his nomination to the Supreme Court, one of the worst moves that George Bush ever made. Uh, this, the story emerged that he uh, loved porn. And I'll never forget the outrage expressed by the Republicans on that Judicial Committee that anyone would dare to even remotely suggest that an outstanding human being like uh, Clarence Thomas would like porn. And I am just got to say, I'm not a fan of porn. Uh, that's just where I'm coming from. I guess I don't draw your judgments about me, but I know it's one of the biggest industries in the country. And a lot of people have made a lot of money off of porn. And a lot of people watch porn. And so this notion that it is outrageous that a Republican would be watching porn is in itself an outrageous comment. I believe that Judge Thomas had a taste for porn. I don't know if he still does, but I believe all the evidence suggests that he did. And I believe he wasn't completely out of the norm for Americans, not just Americans, people all over the world, to quote the OJs, loving porn. So here we are back to drag. How dare you accuse me of liking drag? My guess is you were into it, George Santos. Yes. In fact, my working theory about George Santos, and I really would love to hear what my distinguished guest has to say to it, is that all the lies he created about himself were intended to conceal the truths about himself. Whoa, that's really heavy and deep. I'm going to go hit the bong uh, while I ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself and take the deep dive on George Santos as an opening thought. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm an editorial board member at the Chicago Sun-Times and an occasional columnist. Um, what did you What did you want me to say about George Santos? An occasional columnist. Said? Well, once, uh, once a month columnist. Yes. So, all right. Now, that's not what I wanted to count. George Santos, uh, his vehement denial that he's not in the drag, uh, his vehement uh, accusation that he's the victim of assaults from the media who are falsifying sto stories, uh, and the fact that he got elected as a congressman from a district in Long Island, uh, where he absolutely made up so many. The only thing he didn't say was that he was Muslim. 
Okay. He didn't say that, uh, but <laughs> well, no, he doesn't want to say that. Well, <laughs> I, I was going to say it's, it's like the pot calling the kettle black is if he's accusing the media of making up stories. Cause if anybody's made up stories, um, it's, it's, it's Mr. Santos. And the interesting thing is it's like this guy had said the, it, it's just like for the right to have candidates that make up lies and say despicable things it's like it actually helps them get elected. I feel like there's so many candidates, and um, in the past couple of years that we've seen, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren Boberts. It's like the more crazier things they say, they don't have to have any really legit credentials. They can just be elected, and it just makes me remember when Barack Obama was running, and the same people who are voting for these individuals. Um, were saying things like, he has no experience. You know, I have no problem with him because he's black. I, you know, all he has been, all he's done has been a community organizer. That was what you would heard here on and on and on. And that was basically quote for, I don't want to vote for this guy because he's black. But meanwhile, anybody who's white or white passing, because as we know, Mr. Santos is from Brazil. He's not a Jewish man from New Jersey or wherever he said he was from or went to college for that matter. Um, it's like people like him, if they hold those kind of views, their, you know, tribe, to say, to speak, will we'll just jump on board. They don't care because they're saying what they want them to hear on other on, on certain issues. Yeah, I uh, he is most definitely not a Jewish man. And I don't think uh, being Jewish is a, even a category. Uh so uh, he like he likes. I, I'm I'm more I'm more Jewish as a Muslim than George Santos is. I can tell you that. Ramana is very Jewish. Uh, grew up in Lincoln. Went went to high school with a lot of Jewish kids, uh, and is generally. Uh, and I've always really appreciated this. One of the few people in the universe who will like text me Happy Hanukkah, Happy Passover, or whatever. At least aware of the existence of these. <laughs> other holidays uh that are not the you know the ones that everybody else I, is doing. I, I, I grew up i grew up being excited because that meant there was kosher marshmallows like we couldn't eat we couldn't eat kosher marsh I mean, we couldn't eat the average marshmallows because it had gelatin in it and that's a possibility at pork so we'd be excited all the muslims would be excited um when the jewish holidays came around so we kind of knew and uh all right we knew when the jewish uh, holidays were coming above, above. yeah so you said something to me before we went on the air, uh, and I would love for you to riff on this. Uh, there are two things uh, that have happened in the last week uh, on the race relations front uh, that I found particularly offensive. Uh, and one is a developing story out of Florida um, in which uh, Ron DeSantis, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, his education department, uh, has rejected an AP course in African uh, American history because it violates uh, their anti-woke law that they pass, which is just, I mean, amazing that a, a party that would be so brazenly hypocritical that they they they, they profess to stand up for free speech, uh, and then the government is rewriting uh, curriculum laws to deny certain other people their free speech. Uh, they're so they're they're rejecting. Uh, African American AP, this AP African American history course, and then of course there's the MAGA's embrace, selective embrace of Martin Luther King, to use Martin Luther King as a weapon to destroy the movement that is attempting to champion every single issue that Martin Luther King uh, 
was uh, symbolized when he was alive, that was fighting for when he, symbol- when he was alive and what he was probably killed for. So uh, the same people who were cheering on uh, the racists who threw rocks at Martin Luther King are now using him as a weapon against uh, the things he believed in. I would love to get you to riff. Uh, we'll start off with the uh, Martin Luther King, the MAGA use of Martin Luther King. Take it away, Romano. Yeah, so Ben, you're one of the people um, that actually um, sent me the article about the um, just Florida stopping to use this AP course, and it's ridiculous. And I, as soon as I you told me that, or I saw the AP alert, um, I went to um, Ron DeSantis's uh, Twitter page, and I went to all the way down to Monday because that was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I'm like, I bet this guy tweeted something about Martin Luther King because I feel like a lot of people who are against critical race theory and, um, you know, when anybody talks about race, they feel like Martin Luther King is the person that they have to, you know, pull out of their rabbit hat, you know, their magic hat and say, well, Martin Luther King said that we're all the same and, you know, we're all equal and not to be divided. So of course, lo and behold, uh, Ron DeSantis did have uh, a tweet about Martin, a quote from Martin Luther King. And then today um, I actually was just, you know, I'm browsing through my emails. Um, Ben, you get a lot of emails from different organizations, but I got this organization from, uh, let me just, uh, I forgot the name of this organization, but they're uh, an educational organization, I think, based out of the South, I think, North Carolina or South Carolina. It's called the United States Parents Involved in Education. And so they put out a statement about how critical race theory, <laughs> basically, the, uh, the subject matter of the email was CRT or unity. And this organization basically say, we agree with Dr. King. <laughs> the news release, a quote says that... Um, I suggest we reflect on Dr. King's vision for unity and his love for this great country instead of what divides us as a nation. So they're using a quote from Martin Luther King to back their objection to critical race theory, which I just find so absurd. So I just find it ridiculous that people use Martin Luther King. Um, You know, even I have like, you know, thought of like when I was growing up, I I always thought Martin Luther King was the um, was the more. I guess, whitewashed, you know, I guess, person in history that, you know, the civil rights hero and Malcolm X was the one that was a little more, the one that people, all white people were afraid of. And I feel like through the years, his, his, Martin Luther King's, um, I guess, persona has been more sanitized for a lot of people um, who are against talking about race, critical race theory, or anything about the atrocities that happened to the black community in this country. So I just, I just think it's absurd. And, and Ron DeSantis, obviously, like I said, is, is talking about Martin Luther King, tweeting about him. And then meanwhile, like the same week that we're, you know, honoring the civil rights leader, he's, you know, he's getting rid of this uh, AP course and it's, it's terrible. It's not even, you know, critical race theory is one of those things where it's not going to be taught like in preschool, you know, everybody just, everybody that's going hysterical about it, it's like they don't even realize it's just, it's it's talking about what happened in the past and applying to, you know, the way race has been used in this country. And it's just amazing the pushback that we've seen. And Florida obviously is leading the charge in this pushback. And, you know, they've gotten rid of, uh, I think they can't teach critical race theory. That's just the law. And now it's like AP courses. They're coming after AP courses. And this is even like, I guess they're scared of this like particular 
you know, type of course, but this is a course on African-American history, which I think is just like you're, you want to erase history and you want to sanitize Martin Luther King's, you know, vision and his thoughts and his speeches to basically fit your needs in your agenda. So it's, 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 it's kind of interesting. I actually floated it by, I was so mad about it yesterday. I floated it in our editorial board meeting this morning and um, my boss, Lorraine Forte was like, let's just keep an eye on it. It's obviously something that's not happening here in Illinois, but it's certainly something there could be pushback here too, because we're seeing this with the book bans and all these other um, matters that are kind of creeping into Illinois um, slowly. So we'll see what happens. I just, I just thought it was ridiculous. And the fact that, you know, these, a lot of these Republican leaders, they always like to pull out Martin Luther, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Whenever some, you know, when their discussion of race comes up and this week, I just think it's, it's just typical of something for DeSantis to do on the week that we're celebrating uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and his legacy. Yeah. It, 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 it's a sleazy move. And I, I'll just, uh, this is one of my favorite topics, uh, the weaponization uh, by the right of Martin Luther King, which is so disrespectful to the legacy of Martin Luther King and so inaccurate, historically inaccurate. Uh, and it's like everything else MAGA does, is pretty low down sleazy. But Martin Luther King was not beloved in his lifetime at all, particularly by white people I'm talking about. Uh, he came to the city of Chicago to push for open housing. Uh, well, yeah, it was actually what much v a wider agenda when he got here, but ultimately it came down to marches for open housing. And he got hit in the head with a rock in Marquette Park. So that kind of sums up Chicago's attitude, white people's attitude toward Martin Luther King in the city of Chicago. Uh, and so uh, they take one line from Martin Luther King's I Had a Dream speech where he talks about people being judged by the content of their character uh, and try to flip that. Like, so, see, he's against affirmative action. <laughs> you know, he's against uh, teaching critical race theory because that would make white kids feel bad. What? What are you just making stuff up now? And uh, Yeah, it's just it's that that quote has been used by a lot of white people to say, I see no color. I don't see people. I don't see color. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, you do. The fact that you have to say that shows that you do see color. But, yeah, I think they use that. They use that quote all the time, pull it out. Yeah, and and see, the thing is, you, you bring up Malcolm X. It's a very interesting point you make. Uh, in my opinion, um, Martin Luther King, follow me what I'm about to say, the full scope of his agenda was more threatening, in my opinion, to Americans, the American political establishment, than Malcolm X. Now, Malcolm X had frightening rhetoric about black power, by any means necessary, etc. But Martin Luther King had a very specific leftist agenda. I always point this out. Bernie Sanders before Bernie Sanders. In fact, Bernie Sanders learned from Martin Luther King, and he was talking about uh, challenging capitalism, redistributing wealth, progressive taxation, and uh, guaranteed jobs, guaranteed income, talking about environmental racism, you know, all the things that uh, the Republican Party despises you know, when, they, when they talk about the radical left. There was, that was Martin Luther King in 1966 and 1965. Malcolm X did not have that specific political agenda. You know, and so in that regard, I don't think he was as frightening 
to the powers that be uh, as uh, Martin Luther King. And then Martin Luther King turned against the Vietnam War and started and preached at the Riverside Church in 1967 against the Vietnam War, which was very upsetting <clears throat> to the Democratic Party because Lyndon Johnson, that was his war. So people have just completely, you're absolutely correct, uh, just distorted the lifetime and the legacy of Martin Luther King in order to use him for their political purposes uh, of the day. And I, I'm with you. I find it upsetting. Uh, every every I'm almost like Martin Luther King Day, when it comes around, Romana, I was like, oh, no, here we go. <laughs> it's almost like a, I know. I know the quotes yeah. coming from all the people that really shouldn't be talking about him and that. But yeah, I, but, you know, you were talking about Malcolm X. I do think he was a threat because I never I mean, I did know who I found out who Malcolm X was earlier than most people my age did um, because I took a humanities class and. A friend of mine that was two years older than me, a family friend of mine, uh, took the class and he's like, oh, I read this really great book. And he gave it to me when I was like uh, in high school. And I read it before I actually took the class. And I was like, I never heard about this guy. I just feel like I think what happened was it's like a lot of people took Martin Luther King and made his legacy. And he deserves all, you know, the accolades and all the, you know, the all the information we know. But then, you know, we never heard about the Malcolm X's or all these other civil rights icons that you, you kind of learn about when you're older. So, you know, obviously, as a Muslim, I was just like, whoa, there was this guy that was Muslim, Malcolm X, and he came to Chicago. For me, that was like, I, I, it was mind blowing at that age, at 17. And to read that book, I was just floored. I thought it, I, and I remember reading it and thinking it felt so current. I was like, oh, my God, this guy wrote this book in the you know, Alex Haley wrote this in the 60s or I don't know, was it 70s? Maybe it was the 70s. And it was right after Malcolm X got killed. So 60s. But I'm just saying that, you know, we in school, we heard about Martin Luther King all the time. And, um, you know, we all learned about him, but we never heard about Malcolm X until I got older. But no, I, I still think his, you know, I even thought Martin Luther King was the one that was like, oh, let's be peaceful. And, and Malcolm X was like the badass. But you know, Martin Luther King, as I'm learning, even now, he had a lot of ideas that were considered radical then. And I mean, look what happened to him. He, he eventually got killed, assassinated by by someone. So he was a threat. You know, now that I'm older, I, I, I just realized the complexities that were involved with the whole civil rights movement and all the different characters that were in play. And I just I, I just think it's I just feel like year after year, you're seeing more Republicans and all these people on the right who are against discussing race and, um, you know, historical inequities, they're, they're pulling out Martin Luther King, like more and more every year. And it just, I feel like this whole, like their, their agenda just gets worse when it comes to using the image of Martin Luther King to push their thoughts and ideas onto everybody else. Yeah. And it's a, uh, it's a strange kind of, um, George Orwell, uh, vision that uh, DeSantis and MAGA has for teachers uh, in Florida who have to deal with the issues of race relations. So you have to, it's, a, it, it's an upsetting curriculum. There's no doubt about it. The history of how America treated black people, bringing them to this country in chains, enslaving them, and then uh, uh, waging war for four years to resist any attempt to free them. And then once they had lost the war, uh, 
resisting through Jim Crow another 150 years uh, to uh, any effort to make them equal citizens. That's of upsetting history to come face to face with. And, you know, uh, Ramon, I just read a story, uh, I forget where it was, but it was an account of a white soldier uh, who shot a black GI in World War II because the black GI was receiving a donut from uh, a French woman who was with the uh, Red Red Cross. And it just so inflamed uh, his racist uh, tendencies that he shot the guy and he got off. I forgot where I read this article. It was a story uh, that was revived, maybe in the Washington Post and the New York Times. But the, it originally it was, uh, i got to give a shout out to Studs Terkels and is recounted in his book, uh, The Good War. But my point is, so it's it's really difficult uh, anyway to, to teach this in an integrated classroom. Can you just imagine how challenging that is? And then to have MAGA imposing these phony concerns that somehow or other white children will be traumatized if they're exposed to the history. I mean, what the heck's a teacher supposed to do? I'm like, you just don't want this history taught. That's my conclusion. You just either don't want it taught at all or to have to have it radically sanitized or that's like he did with Martin Luther King so that somehow or other, you know, slavery isn't bad. You know, the slave ships weren't bad. Uh, being locked in chains wasn't bad. Being whipped wasn't yeah, bad. Yeah, it was fun. It, it was, was fun. fun. They enjoyed, you know, the, the, the slaves enjoyed being um, treated like cattle. You know what I mean? Or worse than cattle. Like, that's what, the, you know, that's what, I mean, if you look at pop culture, when you look at um, older movies, there are movies where they sanitize it, right? They sanitize, like, slavery. Like, it wasn't that bad. And so I think that's what they don't want people to know, that it wasn't that bad. And like the story, the anecdote that you just talked about, World War II, there's so many black people that served in the military and they are still kind of ignored, right? When we talk about veterans, what are the veterans, look at the veterans that we do revere or that are put on, you know, pedestals. So there was, there was um, people of color, black people who served in the military and they never are given the same amount of respect i think in this country and in, and that's what you saw like i i didn't you know it, it, i were to, we're talking about pop 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 culture and movies and that's where i learned that there's all these black soldiers remember glory denzel washington and matthew broderick i remember watching that movie um i'm sure it's criticized now because people say like oh matthew broderick was like the white savior in the movie but i remember learning i mean i knew i knew that um, black people served in the military, but just like knowing about the challenges they faced, the movie kind of helped me understand. Like, it wasn't like everybody was happy that black people were fighting with the union. You know, the, the, the people who were actually fighting for the quote unquote right cause didn't like black people either. Right. So it's, it's, it's just, just that people don't want to know about the complexities that were involved with our race relations since day one. And there are a lot of complexities and they don't want children to know that. They literally want people to think things black and are black and white and everything that America did is like wonderful. And it was yeah. for the right reasons. Correct. You, so. you could not tell the story of, uh, of glory putting aside the whole issue of a white savior complex. Uh, you could not tell that in the current MAGA climate because that would uh, undercut their message that black people like slavery. 
And so the reality is that uh, the overwhelming number of black uh, of slaves uh, it, during the World War, uh, during the Civil War, fought with the Union. You know, the, <laughs> against slavery, and uh, that and I, that would probably be too traumatic uh, for. It's so funny. I'll say it again. The the right is always making fun of the politically correct crowd because they're snowflakes and they can't handle anything remotely resembling a critical statement and grow up and wake up and Bill Maher, stop being a baby. <laughs> but the, it's it's the MAGA that's passing laws to protect white children from the reality of what their forefathers did. Like a real weird trip in this country. Uh, you know what? You sent me something today, which you had maybe you've alluded to in the past. I just want you to uh, riff on it a little bit. It was a like a portal back in time to 2007. You sent me an essay that ran in 2007, and it, um, my God, I don't know if this essay would have run. Here, I get your thoughts on this in 2022, but it was so revealing about the attitudes that uh, mainstream America had toward Muslims in, when Barack Obama was running uh, for um, for president. This was before he had the Democratic nomination, I think. And the notion they were investigating, was Barack Obama a secret Muslim? Details at 10. Uh, it, I, I'll tell you, you know, you know what I equate it to, Ramana, and then you can riff away. I urge everybody to check it out. The debate, the presidential, the vice presidential debate in 2008, Joe Biden versus Sarah Palin. First question about gay marriage. And this is where the world was in 2008. Joe Biden assuring the American public that under no circumstances would the Obama presidency a push for gay marriage. That was... I watch that sometimes just to send me back in time. You know what I mean? Let's not just believe our Democrats were all these wonderful human beings. It was 2008, Romana. Four years later, once he was safely reelected, Obama, yeah, I love gay people. Let's get married. Um, but I'd love for you to take a riff uh, about that essay that you sent me uh, and the attitudes that it exposes that people had uh, toward Muslims. Yeah, I actually wrote a couple pieces in 2007. Maybe one day I'll share them with you about how I felt about how he was treated or just the, they called it at that time a slur or accusation that Obama was Muslim. And the funny thing is that um, before Obama became state senator, um, he came to our Eid prayers and, you know, he was, you know, he's obviously has a name that is very, um, you know, his, his dad was a Muslim, his biological dad was a Muslim, his stepfather was a Muslim, an Indonesian man. And so, you know, he comes up to us and he says, Assalamu alaikum. And everybody was just like, you know, he didn't have like any sort of hesitation. And he definitely understood our community. And everybody was looking at me and they're like, oh, is he a Muslim? And I'm like, no, 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 he's not. But I mean, I think he has like some like Muslim family members. And, you know, we didn't think anything of it, but everybody thought it was really cool. They're like, oh, he's Muslim adjacent. You know what I mean? And and they were and, and he actually came to our mosque, too, like before when he was running for state senator. And he told a friend of mine, a friend of mine who was there told me later, he was like saying, I'm probably the only, you know, elected, you know, official or someone that's running for office that actually read the Quran. And, you know, he was talking about that because he did grow up. <laughs> 
with a Muslim stepfather. And, you know, to say that he never had any sort of ties with Islam, it was just it was just crazy that the way people were bending over backwards saying, no, he's a Christian. He believes in Jesus Christ. And and I, I mean, I was in the newsroom at this time and, and, and I, I can tell you that it felt very uncomfortable for people to say stuff like, oh, don't worry, he's not a Muslim. I mean, could you imagine if someone said something like, don't worry, he's not a Jewish person? Like, he's not Jewish. Don't worry. He's Christian. He's Christian. He believes in Jesus Christ. And, and you know, so this article that I found when I was doing my column last week on um, Asian American, uh, this study that uh, a longtime guest of yours, Samina Mustafa, is conducting on what um, Asian American candidates face, it kind of reminded me of what I, I saw as someone who was part of this community and how we were being treated by the Democrats because the Democrats were the ones who were pushing back. You know, you had the Republicans saying like, oh, he he went to a Muslim school. Whoa. You know, and then and then the Democrats, the way they were pushing back was offensive, just as offensive. And so I found that article that was written by this Indonesian journalist who basically said, you know, it's like they had all these American reporters and <laughs> coming to Indonesia and the school that Obama went to see how much of a Muslim he was or how much affiliation he had with Islam. And yeah, he probably, like the article said, you know, people did see him come to the mosque <laughs> with his stepfather. And that's not a bad thing. You know what I mean? And But because the way um, Americans have normalized being Islamophobic for a long time, it was accepted. And this is the way people were talking. In fact, I went to a national, so um, NABJ, a National Association of Black Journalists conference in 2007. And Obama came there and I was there and, and there was one journalist who asked him, don't you think you've gone a little too far in denying that you're Muslim? And it was a really good question. I mean, it, and Obama was taken aback a little and he goes, well, no matter how I answer this, it's going to come out wrong. Right. And so I I personally don't think Obama is um, anti-Muslim, but because of the way our country was and is, he had to sit there and like, oh, look, I go to church. And then it wasn't the right church. Right. After people after like, you know, Jer people heard what Jeremiah, Jeremiah Wright said in his sermons. He's like, oh, no, you're not the kind of Christian we want you to be. So it, it, it was really interesting. And then so you saw that statement in the article that he sent you by the Indonesian um, reporter where Obama's campaign, when he was running for uh, Senate, they're like, Obama was never a Muslim. He's a he's a practicing Christian and he goes to church. And I had a friend I have a friend who's actually grew up in Pakistan and at the time, we'd have these discussions and kind of laugh about it. And and my friend's like, I don't even think Obama is a religious person. I think he just joined the church to show everybody, so, so to show people, the average American, that he's electable. And so I just thought it was absurd. Like, you look back and you're just, I guess it's not that absurd, but it's like, this is the way the Democrats were behaving. Like saying, oh, don't worry, he's, he's not he's not one of those people. And and it was offensive to me at that time. And it was offensive to me that people didn't know why it was offensive. It was like people were acting like that was normal. So for a lot of us, it was, and you, and you know, I was talking to you, Ben, about why a lot of Muslims are really lefties, because they don't really think the Democratic Party has gotten their back in the last couple of years either. So they're like, we're, we're just going to go way left and support Bernie Sanders because the Democrats have pretty much ignored him. And and I have to tell you, it was a Republican who actually kind of stood up for Muslims at the time when Barack Obama was running for president. It was Colin Powell, who actually in a news show said something like, you know, if Barack Obama is a Muslim, who cares? 
because there's a Muslim boy somewhere in this country who's watching TV right now and is wondering if he get, could ever become president. And it, that should never matter. And then um, Colin Powell pointed out about how many Muslims have fought for this country. And that's something that we ignore, too. So at the time, it was really offensive. And it's still offensive today. And it's offensive that a lot of Americans didn't get why it was offensive, if that makes sense to you. It was it was like it, it was made me mad. And, and, and I wrote about it because it, it's like, you know, everybody talks about not being bigoted and saying never again. But it's like this is the kind of language we were using not too long ago to when we were electing the first black president of this country. This is the way we were treating it. Yeah, I'm gonna. It was a great riff. I'm just gonna push back on one little thing. Uh, this shows you where my mind is. Yes, Colin Powell at one point in his life was Republican, but in in that particular instance in 2008, he had supported Barack Obama. To yeah, point that out. Yeah, but I'm saying he was someone that identified as a Republican to show you how far we've we've kind of quote unquote fallen since then. You know what I mean? I mean, at that time, not yeah, sure he I mean, would have made those comments. Not sure he would have made those comments had. Mm, he not endorsed Barack Obama, but neither here nor there. Your point's well taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Overall. For sure, for sure. But I'm just saying that uh, it, you know, it defend, wasn't a Democrat. Like automatically insulting a Republican. Yeah, I can't help myself. It's just like, I just want to point <laughs> out. That, you know what I mean? I felt compelled. Yeah, you, yeah no, no, uh, for sure. But there were a lot of Republicans, I think, that did vote for Obama. The ones, you know, a lot of them who aren't MAGA today or left once in One really of, one of the, um, my great curiosities, which I've never taken the time to really explore, uh, and um, is why so many people voted for Barack Obama in 2008 and then repudiated it <laughs> and went and voted Republican. And, and you know, I just like, where did that Obama vote? He won Missouri. He won Ohio. He won Indiana. And Romana, I look at these states now and they're so MAGA. And I'm like, where did that come from? Like that one moment in time. And I, I don't think there's any one answer to that question, Romana. I think it's a complex thing. A lot of different answers. Uh, but like America's like, we're going to give a black person one chance. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, I, I, can I, t I mean, just in a nutshell, it is a very complex answer, but as we were kind of, it's kind of touches upon what we were talking about. I feel like Obama, he kept trying to assure this certain segment of the population that he was a certain type of black man they could quote unquote trust, right? I mean, he just went on, he had to go out of his way to show people that he was, he was acceptable to the certain crowd, right? And and I, I just I just feel like the more, you know, and then I think it kind of sunk into a lot of these people that this was a black man <laughs> and he was leading our country. And the more and more that they saw that a black man was a president of the United States, I think it just kept triggering these people who probably felt like they made a mistake after they voted for this guy. And it I just think I just think voting for a Barack Obama. It just triggered a lot of people and they re they felt, I don't know, I think a lot of Americans, white Americans felt buyer's remorse because they wanted a certain type of black man. They're like, oh, you betrayed us when, and you know, to a lot of people on the left, they probably feel like Obama kind of sold out and moved more and more towards the center, right? So it's, <laughs> so I see your eyes been getting really wide, but I'm just saying that I, I just feel like a lot of people, like, 
I was talking to my doctor at the time and she was telling me how she had, um, my doctor is not um, an, a black woman. She's um, actually a Jewish woman, but she was telling me how she had black friends and they were saying that I don't even know if it was worth having a black president looking what the backlash has caused, you know, because I, I do think a lot of people had, they were, they didn't think that he was the black man that they wanted. And they went, they went there like, Oh no, are we going to have more of this? Are we going to have more people of color, like, you know, taking charge of our country? And then they just went. And I think it just triggered a lot of um, feelings that a lot of white, not a lot of white Americans, but many white Americans have, I think it triggered um, them losing their hold of this country, their power, white supremacy. I think a lot of people, I think it triggered the white supremacy in a lot of people. I, I, I just go back in time and uh, the world is a much different place in 2007 uh, when Barack Obama announced he was running for president and then going into 2008 uh, when he uh, secured the Democratic uh, nomination. But I always say this, that it was uh, really uh, white lefties for better or for worse, who put Obama over the top. And this is my theory. Uh, Barack Obama made uh, a speech at an anti-war rally in Chicago, and I want to say it was 2002, uh, and uh, he signaled his opposition, no, it was after 2002, whatever, he signaled his opposition to the invasion of Iraq, which in retrospect is a horrific crime, in my humble opinion, I don't want to put words in your mouth, uh, Ramana, that uh, George W. Bush, Dick Cheney, uh, are responsible for cooking up at Colin Powell. Let's not forget his role in it. Uh, cooking up a, a bogus reason to justify invading a country and it's left led to millions and millions of deaths. Her, um, it's just a terrible chapter in American history. And Barack Obama opposed it, opposed that. Uh, that invasion of Iraq. And I think that was his calling card. And I know this because uh, I was, my daughter was working for the Obama campaign uh, in Iowa back in 2008. I remember going uh, to Iowa for the Iowa caucuses when Obama beat uh, Hillary Clinton. And it was so many lefty Iowa caucuses. People say why they voted for people. So, you know, it's a caucus, so it's not a real primary. You vote a vote. You get up and you stand up in a room and you explain why you're voting. But and the overwhelming uh, sentiment of lefties who voted for Obama showed up uh, to vote for Obama was this guy is anti-war. He stood up against the war. Hillary Clinton supported the war. Joe Biden, who's also a candidate, supported the war. You know and he won Iowa, uh, and then overnight, <laughs> the world, I'm telling you, black people in this country were like, wait a minute, all these white people voted for him? Sign me up. And uh, and so, you know, a lot of lefties, it's funny because now they're the ones complaining about Obama. Huh? He betrayed us. Like, oh, well, you don't want to vote for him? Yeah. He was kind of a... Obama was a lefty from people that I know who went to U of C or had him like as a professor or like the different organizations that he was part of. He was very, he was very pro-Palestinian too. So a lot of people are like, Hey, wait, what do you, what do you, you know? And I was like, at the same time, I was like, guys, he's a politician. Okay. He's not going to show up and become Mr. Lefty president. Right. So that's what I remember. A lot of people were, a lot of people that I knew who were on the left, they were like, I mean, I feel like this with most politicians, at the end of the day, they're a politician. 
Um, you know, he, he, that's why like me and my friend, we're both talking about him and going to church and like, we're like, he's doing everything a polit, you know, he wants to be elected and he knows what he has to do to be elected as a black man with a Muslim name. Right. So like, he's going to be like, I'm gonna go to church. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go to church every day. Then it turns out not the right church for like many Americans. I'm going to church every day. I'm gonna, then I'm going to say certain things. And then, you know, I'm going to repudiate, repudiate anybody who says anything about white people and say, oh, there's a lot of good white people, you know, in this world. And, you know, his mother, he is Barack Obama at the end of the day. He's a biracial man. But at the end of the day, this country is going to see him as a black man. And, you know, his mother's from all accounts, she's the one that raised him, that did most of the raising. So, you know, it's. It's like what he was saying was right, but he knows he he was he's a very smart man and he's a great speaker and he knows what he had to say, certain things to say to get certain segments of the population to trust him. And so um I, I just don't I just don't know why people were so shocked, people on the left, when he kind of came back and was more of a, I guess, centrist or uh I gotta tell you, when when you went on that riff, you reminded me so much of your beloved husband, Mick, uh, chastising me very politely and gently, not mean, uh, in 2019, when I voted for Lori Lightfoot, uh, to a certain degree, based on her responses to our questions when she showed up at the hideout. And <laughs> she told me everything I wanted to hear, Mick. And and his response was, you shouldn't believe a word. She, I mean, he didn't literally say that, but the theme was, you can't believe the stuff a politician tells you, Ben. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, he was right and I was wrong in that one. And uh, to a cer certain degree, uh, you were right uh, about uh, uh, lefties with Obama. Um, although I got to say, uh, most lefties... Well, the real hardcore left didn't even vote for I, my my real hardcore lefty friends, uh, Romana, didn't vote for Obama uh, in 2008 or 2012. And they're very proud of that. All who right, is, let's do a the little green candidate. Who was who the green candidate at the time? Who did they um, vote for then? I just uh, blank the green party. It'll come to Jill Stein. It took me a while to remember okay. uh, Jill yeah. Stein's name. Yeah. And uh, uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's 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 the hardcore lefties. All right, um, I come on. This is it's been too long since you uh, weighed in on Gwyneth Paltrow and uh, longtime Romana Hussein episode listeners uh, know that it was uh, Romana who opened my eyes <laughs> to uh, the world of Gwyneth Paltrow, the actress. I didn't really know anything about her, uh, and um, man, what. This I, I can't even get the words out. Uh, she's got quite a, uh, I don't know, what is it? I don't want to say scam going, but she's got quite an industry going here, Ramani. You sent me this uh, article, the latest. Uh, please share with readers, uh, listen, excuse me, listeners, what Gwyneth Paltrow uh, is pushing these days. I think you can call her goop a scam. There's actually been a lot of articles about how certain things that she push pushes are really bad for your health. And they're, they're basically schemes. She, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow has a lifestyle brand called Goop and everybody loves, Hey, it does really well. And I don't know who buys the stuff, but there's a, a, a lot of people who want to look like Gwyneth Paltrow or want to be like Gwyneth Paltrow. 
And she has all this ridiculous stuff on her website. And they're most things that the average person can't afford. And she like shills, shills for them. Says like, oh, this is like this wonderful, you know, I don't know. She'll have something about like a wonderful cream that costs like $2,000. And if you use it, your skin's going to look great, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, the latest, um, the latest outrage against Goop and Gwyneth Paltrow is that she is trying to sell a $195 detox set. And it's actually called G-Tox, like G as in Gwyneth, seven-day reset kit. And so to promote it, she was making a detox salad online. And it, I, I, I jotted down the, I jotted down the ingredients. I'm eating a salad right now at Ben F, should tell you. Mick made me a salad. He's he's my Gwyneth Paltrow in my life. So he makes sure that I eat salad and <laughs> to eat the right things. Anyway, but um, her salad has romaine lettuce, scallions, avocados, zucchini, asparagus, and broiled salmon topped with, what does it say? It's like some sort of uh, Dijon vinaigrette. Anyway, she's like talking about the salad and how it's a detox salad. And so everybody's just like annoyed because it's like, you know, it's like this diet culture and this like health culture and this wellness culture. I'm telling you like 90% of it is a scam. Like I'm someone who's had a pretty healthy, um, I'm, I'm not someone who's like a health nut, but I've had a pretty healthy relationship with food. I've always eaten like I've never gone. I can tell you I can never gone on a diet and I, I'm not like a huge junk food fan, but I do like junk food. And so I don't know, I, I feel like it's good to be healthy, but I think some people go overboard and this wellness industry, it is a total, 90% of it is a total scam. So, you know, you have someone like one of the Paltrow going, oh, if you eat the salad, your body's going to totally like reset itself. And it's like, no, it's just a salad, just eat it. You know what I mean? So you're trying to sell this $200 set, whatever detox thing. And it just... I know you're saying that you don't want to call it a scam, but it is a scam. I can send you articles where people, you know, doctors have like called out, called her out for all these like things that she puts out and says like, you should do this and you should do that. And half of it is just BS and she just wants to make more money and she's, she's getting rich on it. I mean, I don't know who buys her stuff. I'd like to, I think there, that should be a good investigative piece. Like who was the, who are the people that are actually buying the stuff you remember like a like maybe a year or two ago remember she made the candle that was supposed to smell like a vagina I mean it actually sold out I mean I don't know if it really smelled like a vagina but like I who wants that I mean it's 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 just so crazy I mean so one of the Kardashian sisters actually so she's into that kind of stuff the wellness industry and she always talks about how She's like, she's the one Kardashian that like comes on the show and she's like, I don't let my eat my kids eat anything that's sugar based and sugar's poison. And she always goes on as like high horse about what her kids can't eat or what they can't eat. And anyway, one one episode had Gwyneth coming over and they're both talking about how they're going to put their. So this Courtney uh, Kardashian's brand is called um, Pooch and Gwyneth Paltrow's brand is called Goop. And they're talking about a collaboration and they're, it was just so ridiculous. And yeah, I should be punished for watching that show and even paying attention to this stuff. But you got, you got to read this stuff and just have to laugh and you wonder who these people are, but I don't know, one day maybe they will be my, they will be a, a, 
you know, a crusade I'm going to go on to see who these people, who's these customers are and who's spending what on uh, Goop at well, the site. I, I must confess uh, that I was completely unaware of Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, prominence uh, in uh, with, with in the industry of, of selling good things in quotes to people. Uh, and I, ne- I never heard of the vagina scented candles until you informed me of on both fronts. I, I, I barely even was aware of who Gwyneth Paltrow was. Uh, and, and you opened my eyes about Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> so now every time I see a Gwyneth Paltrow article, I got to send this to Romana. Uh, and then it, see, more often I mean, than not, everybody, you, a lot of people. Yeah. And a lot of people love making fun of her because of this. But then, like I said, we there's one group of people that's like making fun of every time she does something like this or says something. And then there's another group of people who are buying her stuff. Well, I don't know. She's laughing. All I don't really want. I don't know. I'm just saying as a woman of color, it's not my goal to look like Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, I'm not saying she looks bad, but I don't look at her and go, wow, I want your white lifestyle. <laughs> J-Lo, I can understand. I'm like, okay. I buy, you know, I, and the whole thing is like celebrities have these uh, lines because, you know, people want to look like them or be like them. And I'm like, well, I don't want to look like, be like one of Paltrow. Like, why, why would I want to do that? But people do. Uh, all right. So we'll close with a recommendation. Uh, I'm going to recommend uh, Megan, uh, which I, uh, my Pam and I saw. We actually went to a movie theater. Uh, yeah. It's, when did you go? When we saw it last weekend, yeah, when, yeah, and uh, okay, my um, my younger it. sister Omas, who you met, what with my nephews, they went on a Friday last weekend weekend to watch it. I, I know she didn't like. I absolutely loved it, and it could be that just going to a movie theater was so much fun that it just accentuated my love for the movie. But I was like uh, doing Megan imitations for days. Uh, it's it's. I just urge all folks, you want to have a good time. Uh, it's sort of scary, but not really scary. Uh, it's sort of thoughtful, thoughtful, but not too thoughtful. Uh, Allison Williams, who is in Get Out, uh, plays like the reverse role here. She was the villain in Get Out, and she's sort of the uh, the good guy or good gal, whatever you want to call it, uh, in this movie. Thoroughly enjoyed Megan, and I think you will enjoy it as well, Romana. I'm not sure. Uh, Mick will. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I don't think Mick he will. He was, actually, he, he was actually, he was actually like, "What's Megan?" Because I was thinking about watching a movie one day. I'm like, "Oh, we should go to the theater," and he's like, "What's Megan?" I'm like, "You will not want to watch that. It's about a doll. It's like haunted, like it's Chucky or something." But it's like a, and yeah, Almas, my younger sister, was saying that it had social commentary, but she said it wasn't scary. Um, we have two teenage uh nephews who are really into scary things right now and so they always want to catch the latest scary thing and and so they all decided to go and including their 22 year old uh cousin and slash brother and they they all i think they liked it they didn't say it was the best movie but they they liked it it's it's not it's not i mean i i like scary movies too it's not scary scary but it's just frightening moments and that it really reminded me of get out was clearly influenced by get out in many ways but one of the things that Get Out did that uh, was frightening were would people be walking through the house at night and there'd be start, things that would happen that would startle you. So that's what happens. And there's a lot of scenes at night where you're all alone and all of a sudden something happens and you, you jump. So it's startling as opposed to scary. You know what I'm saying? And I, uh, that's why I enjoy it. What, uh, what recommendation do you have? 
Um, I still have, I have a lot of catching up to do before the Oscars, which I don't know if I'll be able to do because Ben, I'm going to be going to India next month for two weeks. Um, I do want to watch, um, the whale with Brendan Fraser. I still want to see, she said, I want to see tar, um, all quiet on the Western front. That's on Netflix right now. I read the book in high school and Mick told me to wait until he reads it. Cause he never read it before. So he just finished that. I know we're going to watch that. But right now I am watching, um, I'm watching the second season of Alice in Borderland. Uh, is it Alice in Borderland? Yeah, that was the one that you didn't like that much, but it was a Jap- it was a Japanese show. But then you like you like the Korean like you know <laughs> version of that show that became like a big hit. Wait, Tama, it's, was it literally a- the Korean version of that show, or was it just a similar? Well, it was it was like it was the same themes. I shouldn't say the Korean version of the show because it was its own show, but it kind of had similar themes where people are playing games. What was that show called? I'm like, why am I blanking? I don't know. On we it? talked about it a lot. Where the old man yes. set the game, yes. the, the games up. It became a big hit on Netflix. It was good. I loved it. But I'm just saying, I do like this uh, Allison Borderland. Borderland, which is a Japanese series. So they just, I just saw that they put the second season on and I'm in the middle of that right now. All right. I'm going to close by saying this to you. Uh, Last night I watched Elvis, the movie, and I would really love to get your opinion about Elvis, the movie. And it's on HBO. I want to say, I can't believe how much I enjoyed it. I'll just put that there. And really? Yeah. Yeah. Mike, I'm a little embarrassed. Yeah. My cousin was telling me that too, but I, I, I heard it getting ripped on um by other people i do want to see the colin farrell movie that won some golden globes i'm like forgetting the name yeah the um, uh, the irish, the movie. irish movie. yeah so um, yeah there's a lot of movies that i have to watch well so. elvis will get some nominations i convinced it'll get some so you should might as well watch it but i'm, well, I'm just curious what you say about it because yeah uh, yeah i heard opinion. if you watch the if you watch the trailer you kind of watch the movie that's what that's what i was told but maybe i'll, I'll, I'll maybe i'll check it out check it out yeah i wish i had seen it on the big screen All right, Romana, uh, thank you very much for taking time again. uh, And uh, yeah, have a a great weekend. I'll talk to you real soon, all right? Thanks for having me. All right, that's great. Romana Hussein, I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 